Hello and welcome to livealittlehigher.com. A new year begins and with it we begin the Torah reading of the book of Genesis Bereshit. Uh, this book of Bereshit is a, a beautiful book, it's replete of stories of our patriarchs and uh, it really talks us about life. Today I want to um, uh, talk about uh, a commentary that Rabbi uh, Adin Steinsvalt gives us on his book Talks on the Parasha and he begins saying that there's a fundamental question uh, in this parasha of Bereshit. Uh, it's one of Rashi's most well-known exe exegetical questions and can be found in his first commentaries of the Torah where he famously asks why does the Torah begin with the account of creation? Why does the Torah begin explaining us how the world was created? However, according to Nachmanides, the very question is really unjustified. While it is true, as Rashi points out, that Genesis or Bereshit lacks the sheer quantity of mitzvot that the other books have, like the other books are replete of commandments that we have to keep, the book of Genesis really is a book that is much more uh, grounded in the human nature and how human, human beings really are wired and, and how we deal with that because we are all born with certain characteristics and some people more with some and more with less, but we all have certain things in our personalities that we have to really fight against. Like there's people who are naturally jealous people or envious people, or there's naturally anger prone people. So the book of Genesis stands out as a source of all basic principles of our faith. And, um, Genesis is preoccupied with a fundamental question and its narratives brimming with exemplary figures whose actions shape our lives till today. So here Rabbi Steinswald is saying that the protagonists of this book of Bereshit really are our forefathers, our Salikim, and they were supremely righteous individuals. Nevertheless, we see that in their lifetime, they failed also. They also had certain situations in which they, they took not the best uh, decisions and things happened because of that. But nevertheless, we learned from their failings and this is part of this book. And this, that's why the Torah begins with it. Because really, the Torah is a living Torah and it's an example for us. It's, it's really teaching to us how is the best way in which we can live our lives. What, what way is the best way to behave ourselves? What is a proper behavior and what is not proper behavior? What is, should be done and what is right and what is wrong? So we see here that the, nevertheless, our Sadiqim, our forefathers, uh, were not uh, the right, the, the, they also were human beings and they also had failings, but nevertheless, they're the pillars of our world. And um, indeed, we have the, the seven shepherds, and these are the seven shepherds, which are really the people that we look up to, and they all come from the book of Genesis. So, Parasha Bereshit itself addresses life fundamental dilemmas in detail. It's very detailed. Uh, almost every important issue appears here. And, uh, and we see how they descend and they ascend and how they do teshuva and how they make things work. And then we see that creation 
and the nature of man that man has nature human beings are have a certain nature where we have a part of us that is really animalistic it's in, it, it's instinctive and it's part of the way in which we were made up and this is something that i i think or i really think that is one of the most important things that a person can understand that his makeup is not his fault that he's made up in a certain way and Hashem made him that way with that with those flaws and with those uh, capacities uh, we all have good and bad uh, yin and yang but in reality the bad is supposedly there so we can transform it for the good and so we can have merit so we can really earn it ourselves so we see here that the, this parasha deals with the more human challenges of life, with relationships between people, within, within the husband and wife, with the parents and children, and their quarrels, and how it, it really is the building blocks of a society. So the Shar Hagigulim, which is a book of, um, of uh, incarnation, is a Kabbalistic work, uh, that talks about the different, uh, we believe, Jewish people believe in incarnation, that the soul comes to the world many times to perfect itself. So identifies two different types of souls and, and it elaborates on them. So it says in this book, Shar Hagidulim, that there are souls that possess the nature of Abel and there are souls that possess the nature of Cain. As we know, these are the two first brothers in the world, Cain and Abel. And we know that Cain um, killed Abel and it was because he was jealous of him. Jealousy is a very bad uh, a feeling, midot, character trait, because it can really take a person to take extreme uh, measures that are really go against uh, the Torah. So we see here that uh, this book of Sharha Gilgulim is not saying that one is bad and the other one is good. Like each one has different characteristics, different dispositions, and then um, and it's not a division between good and bad souls. For this source attributes the nature of Cain to the souls of many great Torah leaders. Rather, the division is one of character. So it's what it's telling us here is that there's a division of these two types of soul. It's more about their character than anything else. It says that the nature of Abel was more milder and more pleasant than the nature of Cain. Cain was more fire and uh, he was more he was stronger and he was more creative. But on the other side, you, you, it's a double-edged sword. It can also go the other way. So this distinction becomes apparent when one considers the Torah portrayals of Adam's sons, Cain, Cain and Seth. Seth is a, a son that Adam and Eve had uh, many years after Abel uh, passed away and their descendants. So Cain is remembered primarily for killing his brother Abel, but we're also told something else about him. He's the first person in the world that ever built a city. And after he killed his brother, this is what he did. He went and he built a city. And indeed, while Adam lived for many centuries and possessed abundant wisdom, Cain is the one who built the first city. So I look at the passage of, um, of on Lemek's sons, Cain's grandchildren, reveals that they are invo involved in creative in a creativity um, and progress. So 
we see from this book that humanity doesn't come here to sit in a, in a beach and drink a piña colada and just let it be. We really come to work on the world. We come to work it and make it better and bring progress to the world. So the first as a shepherd, uh, his grandchildren, and he was not an ordinary shepherd, but the father of all those who lived in tents and kept, and kept herds. So his, his grandson was the first shepherd in the world. We see from many of our patriarchs were shepherd too. We see that Jacob was a shepherd, Joseph was a shepherd, the brothers were shepherds. So the second is the originator of music, the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. And the third creates weapons who sharpened all implements of copper and iron. So we see here that his descendants were people that really brought progress to the world. They brought music, they brought, uh, they brought uh, weapons, they brought all these things that made the world go round. So we see here that Cain's descendants, descendants possess creativity and the likes of which is not found among Seth's descendants. In this respect, Cain's legacy recalls Jacob's description of Reuben, his firstborn, and he says, exceeding in eminence and exceeding in power. So he was really a descendant of Cain, and the eminence that Jacob speaks of here refers to innovation. This quality does not necessarily express itself positively. After all, Cain is also the first person who ever murdered uh, someone, never not less than his brother, like he killed his brother. So we see here that Cain's man's first creation, Adam's firstborn son, of whom Eve said, I have gained a man with God. In, in making this statement, Eve is actually exclaiming in wonderment, I have created a human being in partnership with Hashem. So we see from here that we are partners in creation with God, that God made a world in a way that we can be co-producers with him, that we can be partners with him in this world. We're not here just to do nothing. We're here to really bring goodness to the world. The problem is that humanity has, uh, it's a double-edged sword. You can destroy or you can build. And it's up to you what you want to do in the world. You want to build cities or you want to destroy cities. What's, what's in your agenda? So he says here that the nature of Cain is part of our makeup as human beings. What is a person's purpose in this world? What is our purpose in this world? So this book of Genesis really is telling us that we were created for a purpose. That God didn't make the world just because. He made the world because he had a, a purpose for it. And he says here that there was no man to, to till the soil, and he tasked it to till it and tent it. So man is charged with preserving the world. He's the one who must water the trees and ensure that nothing is damaged. So we see here that God created this beautiful, wonderful world, but you need to tend it. It's like when you make a garden in your house. God gave you the seeds. He gave you the, the, the soil. He gives you the water. All these things, he gives them to you. They're not man-made, they're made by Hashem. 
you put them in your garden and this, the flowers start growing and the garden start growing, but you are the one that has to make sure that it's watered. You have to make sure the weeds are taken out. You, you have to prune the trees. You have to make sure there's fruit to take it out. You, it's you. You're the one that has to be involved in the creative process. So, but surely man's task cannot be summoned up as being the garden of Eden's caretaker. We're not only here to take care of the garden. We're not only here to tighten the screws of something that is falling apart. We're not here as a, the maintenance guy. We're not the maintenance people. So man is charged with a greater mission, namely, which God created to do la sot. Man was created to take dynamic action. We're not only here to, to preserve the present state of things, we're also here to make things, to, to, to make the world grander, to make greater things out of what Hashem gives us. God is the only being that can create something out of nothing, ex nihilo. We, can, we can't do something out of nothing, but we have a lot of resources that are given to us by Hashem. And with these resources, we're expected to create uh, other things, to, cre to bring progress to the world. So here it says, so, and God saw all that he has made, and behold, it was very good. The soil is good, the trees are good, the lights are good, but this does not mean that everything is perfect. So when God creates the world, he intentionally leaves things as incomplete, in an incomplete state. That's why so many people are so disillusioned with the world and they feel it's such an imperfect world and such an unjust world and why does this have to happen and why is there sick children in the world? How can it be that there's hunger in Africa? You know, God didn't finish a perfect world. He didn't leave it perfect. He left it very imperfect. And the purpose for that is so that men can have the ability to make it perfect. This is the gift he gave us. He gave us a gift of perfection. He gave us a gift of being able to perfect his creation to the best of our ability. So this introduces man's requirement to do lasso, to take action, to become partner as it were in the creation. So man, by his very nature, affects the world in a very significant way. We can really change the world. We, the, wor the, uh, the power that a human being has is really uncomprehendable. We can't even imagine what one person can create in, in the world. Like you see, for example, you see Picasso, he created all this artwork. And today we really value it and we see it in the museums and you can't even buy it. At the moment he was creating it, people didn't value that. They, 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 he was a poor guy. He, it, it took him years to become someone noticed. So imagine, today we value what Picasso left to the world. Or, or someone that invents a vaccine that saves thousands and millions of lives. Today we value that. But you see that a person can really change the world for the better in so many ways. So the very fact that man is capable of this demonstrates that he's also required to do so. So Hashem really expects from us that we come into this world and we give it our manpower, that we give the best of our abilities. He, gave, he made us with abilities. He made us complete with complete toolbox so we can come and perfect the world to our, to our, our, our ability. So there's a, there's a discussion 
of the Tineus Rufus. He was known as the Turnus Rufus in the Talmud, and he was a, a, a Roman governor of Judea in the times of the Second Temple, and he called once uh, Rabbi Akiva on the matter of uh, Brit Milah. He was very dis disturbed by it, and he says, what right do I have to cut off a part of an organ that a person was born with? Like God created the world perfect, he created this baby with this with this um, organ looking like that, why would you cut a piece of it? Like, who are you to decide that this is not perfect? So Rabbi Akiva pointed to the changes that man affects on the soil. And he said to him, man does not leave it in its original state. Like, if you would leave the soil in its original state, you would never have anything. It would be consumed by the weeds. And the man comes and he plows it, he sows it, he waters it. He, he constantly is interfering in God's work. And man does not perform these actions merely to preserve the soil, but to improve on it and to be able to yield a beautiful crop that uh, in quantity and quality that if he wouldn't work on it, he would never be able to, to come about. So the answer is that although God indeed deci decides that some people should fall ill and some people should be poor, for example, uh, <clears throat> there is no requirement to preserve that re reality. Like there was a big discussion uh, from many people and in many different religious circles that if a person should go to a doctor, uh, if he's sick, uh, what's the, if God made him sick, like do, does God really want him to be well? And the answer is like according to, to, to this, to the Torah, is yes, for sure, God created doctors to help a person improve his situation. A person is not meant to be doomed. If a person is born not with a crooked nose and a double chin and uh, one eye is up and the other eye is down, is he supposed to look like a monster for the rest of his life if there's a plastic surgery that has been innovated by the human beings and a person can have a normal, beautiful face so he can be a, a productive human being in this world? So obviously the answer here is that yes, we can intervene in our lives, We're, we must intervene. We have everything that is in our possibility to make life better, a Jew is, is supposed to do it. So even Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, <coughs> who denounced physicians in the strongest terms in his time, it seems that the physicians were like very bad, uh, <coughs> he, he never opposed uh, medicine per se. So when he saw that a person was really ill and there was a medicine that could cure him, he would really say, no, you have to take the medicine. Uh, and he himself claimed on another occasion that a father who does not vaccinate, and I'm saying this because today there's so many anti-vaxxers, and this is a little bit uh, like this, but this is what Rabbi Breslov says and what this is the, 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 the way in which the Torah sees it, is that a father who does not vaccinate his son against smallpox is really endangering other people's lives and it's like he's killing other people. Because if there's something that can prevent it and can prevent a mass uh, epidemic that will kill people, then you are responsible, you are uh, expected to take care of that part of the world. So. So it says here, when the Torah says, which God create, created to do, this means that the world is full of imperfect things. 
and that the Midrash, as the Midrash puts it, everything created during the six days of creation requires rectification. Uh, one can always question whether the imperfections we encounter in life really are a result of the defect in creation or from the sins of, of, of human beings. But once it is clear that the thorns and the thistles of life, for whatever reason they're here, they do exist, we must not abide by them. And the, we fight them, we destroy them, and we try to grow other things in its place. So. Whatever the reason is that something happened that is not perfect, that is something that is not right, if it's because of our sins or it's because God created it imperfect, that's not for us to sit and wonder and ponder on that. The, the job of a human being is to take action and do the best they can. So, so it says here that, the, that whether we like it or not, progress is always bubbling in the world. Progress is something that is moving, that is, uh, that is uh, it's like a, a snowball that is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Like I think about today and the internet, emails, Google, Facebook, WhatsApp, chat groups, Instagram. Uh, like it's mind boggling. My, 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 I lost a brother-in-law 25 years ago. He never saw email. He, he never thought this would exist. He never, it was not part of his life. And today people can't live without it. It's something that you really, it's needed. It's a necessity. The iPhone is a necessity. People live through it. They do their, they, they work through it. They're, 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 they all, their whole life is run by it. So what is the proper attitude to these constant changes? What is the proper attitude for a human being to have with this evolving world that is always, it's rolling and rolling and it's rolling very fast nowadays. And how do we come to peace with this progressive uh, energy and, 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 and world, but at the same time, uh, know our place in the world and know how to use this, these new technologies and these new ways of life that will not um, tarnish a human being, but on the other hand, it will make him excel. So the Hatam Sofer says, innovation is forbidden by the Torah. And indeed, there are many Jews who try to live by this mantra. There's people like the, like the, like the Amish community that really lived like 500 years ago. They don't use anything modern because they want to keep themselves uh, as pure as possible. And they think that all this new technology really brings um, the worst to the world. And, and in a certain way, they're right because all this technology really if it's not used in the proper way, it can really bring a lot of havoc. We know many people, it's, it's horrendous the things that it, it brings. And, 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 and so it says that a God-fearing individual need not necessarily fear the new uh, technologies and the new uh, innovations of the world. We believe that if God created to do, then our duty is to improve and perfect the work of God in the world. And God says, I finished my work now and it's your turn. So the Jewish mentality is that all these new things are coming to the world. Like imagine when people didn't know electricity and suddenly electricity appeared. People were scared of electricity. It brought many new things that people were not used to. Uh, and, 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 and it can be very damaging. But... Uh, as Adam was told, thorns and thistles shall it sprout for you. 
If a person sows in the ground and thorns and thistles grow instead of his desired crop, he must ask himself, what should I do with this problem? And this is an essential question, one that is not connected to external conditions or to advantages that some people may have over others, but only to how each person decides to deal with the problem that arises in his life. So many of the awful things in the world that today exist as a result of technology, in reality, it's not the technology that creates these awful things, it's people. And so it's up to the people to use it wisely and use it for the service of Hashem. If people use technology for what it's really intended, because everything that's created in this world really comes from above, like if God allows technology to come into the world, really it's meant to be used for this. So I can post a Torah class and you can listen to it. This is the reason that YouTube exists. This is the reason why WhatsApp group exists. It's to be able to bring holiness into the world. This is the reason for it. This is why it exists. But if people use it for the wrong reasons, then that is the free will we have and people have a free choice. They can use it for the good or they can use it for the bad. So it says that in Deuteronomy, it says, you neglected the rock that begot you, and the rock God created you with the capacity to forget so that you should not remember everything that happens to you. So Hashem made us with a memory, and we are forgetful people. We can forget many things. In reality, Hashem created this mechanism so the world, our life, wouldn't become so heavy on us, and we would be able to forget painful events in our lives. But in reality, what people use this mechanism for is to forget Hashem. So it's the same with the technology. Hashem gives it to us, it's up to us for what we use it. If you have forgetfulness, use it to forget the, the quarrel you had this with this person, forget about what that person told you, forget that you had a fight with somebody, forget all these nasty things. But don't forget that there's a God above you. So. So in light of all this, we must ask today whether the world is running too fast. We have to ask ourselves, is it going too fast? Do we have the capacity to catch up with it? Or is it taking us with it? Our children, our, our spouses, it's sad to see you go out to dinner and you see took a couple get, went out to dinner and they're all in their phones, they're not looking at each other, they're not talking to each other, they're spending a hundred dollars on a babysitter, a hundred more dollars on the dinner, and they're not even enjoying each other. So the question is, is that all this has tremendous power on us. But, but do people today have more power than they require? This is a question to ask. Do we have the capacity to fight these tendencies? Do, are we strong enough to be able to use all this progress for the good? And, um, and, or is it too much to handle? So the Mishnah in Perkiavot criticizes the person whose wisdom is greater than his deeds. This is not a repudiation of wisdom but merely a safeguard. If a person does, does not want wisdom to affect him like a deadly poison, he must always apply it. So what it's telling us in the Pirkeavot is yes, you have all this technology, it's wonderful, it has helped your business, it has made your life much easier, it's amazing, it helps you connect with people that you, had nev you, you never thought you could talk to again. For example, I talk to my grandchildren in Panama every day through FaceTime, I enjoy, I'm looking at them, I'm watching them grow. So 
Yes, it's amazing, it's wonderful. The question is, are you using it for the good things? Are you using it for to make your life a more enhanced life, a more connected life? And the Talmud in Ketuvot uh, uh, 50a advises teachers, teachers of young children that, wa that once a pupil has reached the age of six, stop him like an ox, he feed him as much knowledge as possible, at the same time, however, a person's fear of sin should, be, should take precedence over his wisdom. His wisdom must never exceed his ability to use it. So what it's telling us is that, yes, knowledge is amazing, knowledge is power. The more wisdom you have, the more powerful you'll be, the more you'll know. But at the end of the day, you have to also have Yirashamayim, you also have fear of heaven. And know that there's consequences to your actions, that everything you do is, is, is written down in a book and, and it's, it's recorded. And that, they, and that our fear of sin should take precedence over our wisdom. That we should know that there's a responsibility and an accountability when we have all this, uh, this goodness from the world. Everything comes with a price. The important thing is that we use it for Hashem, we use it for the good. So I leave you here. It's a good way to start the year, a good uh, food for thought uh, for this year. And uh, remember, live a little higher. Thank you.